Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit, continuing that series, and tonight the promise of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God and eternal Spirit of the living God, we come to your glorious throne, your majestic throne, bowing before you, the Most High Lord. Lord, we are tiny. If the earth is but a speck compared to the sun, and the sun a speck compared to the great stars of the evening sky, and the stars but a speck in the Milky Way, and the Milky Way but a speck in the universe, what are we, creatures of dust, before the Eternal One, before the Holy One? We bow low at your feet and pray that you would speak with us this night and move our hearts to worship. For the glory of your name we pray. And in Jesus' name, Amen. I think it might have been the year 2003. I was a youth pastor at Nelspreet Baptist Church. And in January we had a meet. It was 2004. I was married. My wife was with me. And we had a meeting in Hector Spreit. Um, what's that? So that? I think the other side of Malalan. And it was about 40 degrees Celsius. A scorching day. And you know Nelspreet kind of temperature, it's not Messina. Messina is very hot in Palabora. But Nelspreet, Hectorspreet, Kumatipoets, that's like a pressing heat. It's humid. So it's extremely hot. And we see clouds building up in the afternoon, late afternoon. Storm clouds, thunder clouds. And there's lightning and thunder. And so we all get in our cars and... So we won't be caught by the storm. We drive home to Nelspreet, and the next day at the morning service, a Sunday, I ask the man whose farm this is, and he said, not a drop of rain. So it's all promising, but there's nothing. God is not like that. God doesn't make promises like clouds that bring no rain. It looks like there's going to be rain, but there's none. The promises God makes, not a single promise will fall to the ground. Joshua 21 verse 45. God cannot lie. God keeps His covenant. God keeps His promises. And the greatest promise we find in Ephesians 1, the text I'm going to read to you tonight, that is God's greatest promise to us. It's not eternal life. It's not forgiveness of sins. It's not adoption into His family. It's not being justified in His court. It's not the promise of sanctification. It's not the promise of getting a glorified body one day, a perfect body. It's not even the promise of heaven itself. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of heaven, 
the promise that comes down from heaven, but also the spirit that guarantees the promise that we will get heaven. And that's the great privilege for us as Christians. So let us read Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now we're going to answer three questions. The first question, who is sealed? And I'm going to explain all of that to you. Don't be confused about the word seal. I'll explain that. Who is sealed? The answer is in verse 13a. So the Father... God the Father gives His blessings to us through, verse 3, I didn't read verse 3, God the Father gives all His blessings to us through Jesus Christ. One of the blessings that He gives us is in verse 13, and that is the sealing with the Holy Spirit. He seals us with the Spirit, it says in verse 13. And for, who, for whom is that? Who does he seal? Look at the verse. In him you also. But Paul had been talking of we before. So Paul is saying not us Jews only. But you Gentiles also. You are not Jews. You people from other nations. All of us. All of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. The covenants of promise. All God's promises is for us. In chapter 2, verse 12, the covenants of promise. Also for those who are not circumcised, those who are not Jews. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles. The blessing of the Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles in Christ. Galatians 3, verse 14. Now this blessing, uh, the sealing of the Spirit, the sealing with the Holy Spirit... That's like an umbrella blessing. Because all the blessings of God are given to us in the Spirit. So the blessing of being chosen by God, chapter 1, verse 4. The blessing of being adopted into God's family, chapter 1, verse 5. The blessing of being forgiven and redeemed, chapter 1, verse 7, by the blood of Jesus. The blessing of all things being united in Christ, in heaven and on earth, chapter 1, verse 10. All those blessings are given because of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes it like the Spirit takes all those blessings and He makes it real to you. He, he brings it to your heart. He applies it to your heart. He impresses it upon you. So God place gives us the seal of the Spirit and all the blessings come in Him. Through uh, Christ, by His Spirit. How does He give it to you? How do you receive those blessings? The answer is in verse 13. How do you get the blessings? The, the sealing of the Spirit. You hear the word of truth? Is that enough? What's the next thing? You believe it. You trust. So you, you hear the word of the gospel, the word of truth, and you believe in Christ. And so you get... Now actually that is ambiguous in the Greek. Ambigu, am, ambiguous. Ne double sinach. This double sinach in Greek still... Because on the one hand, that can be translated, uh, God seals you the moment you believe. When you believed, that moment you believed, God sealed you with His Spirit and all these blessings come. Or it can mean, King James Version, after you believed. 
God set His seal on you, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, I look at that and I think that's not important, whether it means the one or the other, because either case, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But there are some preachers, and some of them very good preachers like Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I love Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably, I think, at least in the top three favorite preachers I have, but I believe he's wrong here. He believes that you can be a Christian for 20 years and not be sealed with the Holy Spirit because it comes after you believe, maybe many years after, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, I do agree that it's possible to be a Christian and have some issues with assurance of salvation. You're really a Christian, but you're struggling. You don't know, but you have doubts. Am I really saved? So that's possible to doubt your salvation as a Christian. But all these blessings, verse 3, from verse 3 to 14, a list of blessings that God gives us. Is it for every Christian or only for some Christians? It's for every Christian. And also the blessing of verse 13, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's also a blessing for every child of God. But that said, I would immediately add, the sealing of God's Spirit, the sealing with the Holy Spirit doesn't end the moment you believe the gospel, the moment you are saved. That sealing, there are times in the Christian life, I, I, I do this all the time when I say sealing, I, I've got the idea of a ring, and you press it on wax, the king's ring, and he impresses his seal, uh, or on clay. Uh, the, the ladies here, when you were girls, maybe Jeanette Villiers' age, Tammy's age, because uh, I remember when my sisters were primary school kids, and it's got your name engraved on it. Okay, so the seal, and now in those days it's a deep, a deep seal, and you, you press it on the wax or the clay, and it impresses the king's image. And so there are times in the Christian life where the king, where God, yes, you've already been sealed with the Spirit, but like, it's like he impresses a deeper. He makes a deeper impression, a clearer impression. He renews the impression to remind you you're a child of God. And it's such an encouragement, such a blessing. He gives you a deeper sense of the promises of God. That's why I read earlier 2 Corinthians 1 where all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, and we add our amen to it and say, yes, those promises are true. And then the next verse says, He has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. He has sealed us. He's anointed us. So you've been sealed to say, these promises are yours. So now it's not vague. Now it's not just, oh, we've got all these promises of God. Now it's like the Lord impresses that upon your heart to say, Amelia, the promise is yours personally. Amelia's Zwichelar belongs to you, these promises. And the title deed of heaven, the title deed of heaven with you, it's for you. It's for you personally. So it's not just vague, it's for those who believe. No, it's for you. And you have such a sense of God's presence and God's grace. Like in verse 13, you've been sealed with the Spirit. Verse 14, He is the guarantee of that inheritance you have in heaven. It's all yours. I have experienced personally where God has impressed that seal on me even deeper in a time of suffering. Actually, in my case, it was in a time 
before suffering came. Twice I remember that. Not, not very long before the suffering came, that happened. Sometimes after you've been through a period of suffering, God impresses that seal upon you even stronger. And sometimes during the suffering. So I'll give you an example of this. 2018 was a very odd year in this church and in my ministry. And I remember March 2018, I'd been reading a book by Stuart Olliott, Something Must Be Known and Felt. And I might give the book to you and it may not do the same for you, but it, God used that in my life. I was overjoyed with a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I remember nights where I didn't want to go to sleep, where I just wanted to spend time in prayer into the night. And then after that, the suffering came. And it went on for between six and eight months, and it was intense suffering. And then I also remember a period like that in 2007. For a whole week, I remember, I would lock my study door and just be on my knees, just in awe and in wonder of God. It's like almost a tangible, of tasbara, presence of God's Spirit, that I couldn't do anything other. I couldn't do anything other than just be in prayer. I didn't even want to prepare my sermons at the computer. I just wanted to be with my Bible on my knees, Bible open in front of me, and just worship God and pray through it. And I prepared my sermons that way that week. And then there was a week break where it was very ordinary, and then the week after again, that kind of thing. And then in 2008, it hit us like a ton of bricks. Big trials, big trials. So God prepared me for that by impressing the seal upon us deeper. That's Romans 8 that I preached last week where you've got the Spirit working in you, calling out, Abba, Father, and He witnesses with your spirit, you're a child of God. And then the next verse, oh, then there's suffering. And the next verse, suffering. And the next verse, and it just goes on, the suffering, the rest of Romans 8, until you again come to the Spirit praying for you and praying in you and teaching you to pray. So you've got that, the seal of the Spirit being impressed deeper. You see what God does in your suffering? It's like uh, in suffering, He humbles your heart and He softens your heart and He empties your heart of yourself. So now the Spirit can come and press His seal upon you because you're going through suffering. Just to remind you, I know you're going through this. You are my child. I have not forgotten of, of you. Or after the suffering, to comfort you. So then you're ready when that happens. You're ready for that seal to be impressed. You're ready for Romans 5 verse 5. God just pouring His love into your heart through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to you. You're ready for Ephesians 3 to just understand by the power of the Spirit in you the, the height and the breadth and the length of the depth of the love of Christ. You're ready for 1 Peter 1 verse 8 uh, to, to, rejo to rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're ready for if, uh, Philippians 4 verse 7 to have a peace of God that you cannot describe because you're suffering. How can you have this peace? God just pours it over you. Um, you're ready for 2 Peter 1 verse 4. All the promises of God that are so impressed upon you, so aware of these. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that. So you have times like this in the Christian life that these things happen. And, and nothing helps in your suffering. You can pray. You can read the Bible. It's like nothing comforts you 
Other Christians can talk to you. It doesn't comfort you. It doesn't help you. You come to church. You hear a sermon. It might even move everyone around you, but you'll remain unmoved. And it's not because your heart is hardened. You're just so, you're so burdened by suffering. You don't know what to do. And it's like you're calling to God and heaven is silent. And then all of a sudden, God intervenes and, and He impresses the seal of His Spirit upon you. Like Lloyd-Jones, 1949. It's even, it's even titled the chapter in his biography, The Summer of 1940, uh, The Summer in Wales, 1949. Oh, what a dark period for Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he, he says there was an evil presence in the room. Such an evil presence, he couldn't even pray. I, I experienced that once in my life. And that was in Mosulbay, Pinnacle, where I woke up in the middle of the night with such a terrible nightmare. Uh, it was a horrible nightmare, and I woke up and I sensed such an evil presence in the room. For an hour I tried to pray, I could not. And Martin Lloyd-Jones had that. It's called the dark night of the soul. The Puritans used to talk of that. With, they got that from an, an old writer before them. And Lloyd-Jones, so struggling in this evil presence, and nothing helped. And while he was getting dressed, he would cry, cry out to God, nothing. And while he was getting dressed, he saw a sermon of Arthur Pink. There are some of A.W. Pink's books there, booklets there at the back. It was a sermon by A.W. Pink, and he just saw this one word, Glory. And God filled his soul. It says it's like the light was shining into his heart. He was so full, flooded with the peace of God and with the love of God and with the majesty of God and the glory of God. And he could just fall down in worship. And then later on again, he went back into the, the hole of depression. And then again, the Lord lifted him out by another such experience. God impressing the seal of the Spirit upon his heart. Sometimes God impresses that seal upon your heart when you're on your deathbed. Um, some Christians, or, or maybe just before you die. We had a case like that in this church, and a number of you know the man, Mike Furry. Well, Mike Furry, before he died, I don't know if you remember who was in the preaching class at that time. We had a preaching class going and Mike was crying. And he said the doctor told him he is 15 more years after he had his heart up. And that was the 15th year. And sure as you can tell, he died, like the doctor said. But he was crying. And then he had such a peace. And he told me one day, this is about two months before he died, two or three months. He told me he had a quiet time that morning. And during his quiet time, he read his Bible and he spent time in prayer and he took up a, a sermon or he was busy reading a biography of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, there was a, a section in the book, Jonathan Edwards writing on heaven. And he said, Mike said, well, Mike said it was like he was in heaven. He was in heaven. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. And he was so filled with the joy and peace of God, flooded with the love of God. He says it's like everything around him. He just forgot about it all. And he was in such ecstasy, really as if his soul was transported to heaven for a moment. And he had an indescribable peace, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more being afraid. And a few months later he died. And he went to be with the Lord. You see that with Stephen, remember that. Right before Stephen gets stoned. 
It says in the Bible, Acts 7, at the end, it says, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit. There you have the, the, the seal of the Spirit impressed deeper upon his heart. And he sees the heavens open. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he sees the glory of God. And moments later, he's with the Lord because he dies. And that you see in verse 14 is the guarantee of that inheritance. So verse 13 happens to show you verse 14. The seal of the Spirit impressed to show you that inheritance is yours. And that is especially necessary. In our church, we have an emphasis on praying for the persecuted church. That's especially necessary. This morning on the, on the missions WhatsApp group, that was North Korea. It's especially necessary for those Christians. They're going to die, many of them, for their faith. They need the seal of the Spirit impressed deeper upon them. And Christians, maybe not in persecuted countries, but Christians in South Africa who have a very difficult deathbed, some of them, they need this, where, where God gives them that deeper impression upon their souls to tell them, you're my child. The inheritance is yours. You're coming to me now. Do not fear. Do not fear. And, and especially in times where the devil tempts you to, to doubt. And then you're on your deathbed and you really start doubting, am I really saved? Am I a child, am I a child of God? And God does this. He impresses the seal upon you. He deepens this. God can do this obviously when He pleases, where He pleases, with whom He pleases. He's not bound. He cannot be controlled by us. He knows the need of every one of His children. And the Lord knows how to work with each one. He works differently with every believer. And yet, you can prepare your heart. You can sweep the house to make it a neat house where the Spirit wants to come. And where God wants to impress the seal of His Spirit. So how do we do that? You do that first of all by confessing your sin. Why? Because sin will hinder the work of God. Sin will stop, will prevent God. Not prevent bound because He's powerless, but He will not come and impress the seal of His Spirit where there's sin. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you grieve Him, the seal will not be there as it ought to be. You will not be aware of it as you should be. So the Spirit will withdraw His presence and you will feel spiritually empty and spiritually cold and spiritually dead. I just finished a book and it won my Book of the Year award. <laughs> it's a book by John Bunyan called The Holy War. So The Holy War is an allegory. So he, takes, he writes this story about a city called Mansoul. And in this city, Mansoul, the city has got five gates. Eye gate, ear gate, nose gate, mouth gate, and feel gate. To get into Mansoul. And the city was created by King Shaddai and his son Prince Emmanuel. And the Lord Secretary, the Holy Spirit. And so, to cut a long story short, there's a very evil dragon called Diabolus. And he comes to the city, he attacks it. Eventually he gets in Eargate. He breaks through the city and he captures the city. And then Prince Emmanuel comes and he captures, uh, surrounds the city. He fights against the evil one. He conquers him, defeats him, chases him out. And he recaptures Mansoul for himself. And then what happens is it's wonderful. But then they start forgetting because there's, what was the guy's name? Mr. Evil Speech or something. Can't remember his name. 
but he convinces the people of Mansoul, Mr. Carnal Security. Yes, carnal security, which means you just sit back, laid back, everything's fine. Jesus is on my side now. I can just coast along. And so he convinces the people, but then Mr. God-fearing tells them, don't listen to Mr. Carnal Security. You must listen to your prince, Emmanuel. You haven't spoken to him in how long? And then Prince Emmanuel withdraws from the city, and all the people start crying, but they still make friends with all the Diabolians in the town, the followers of Diabolus. Because some of them are still in the town, like Mr. Hate Light and Mr. Evil Speech and so on. And, uh, and so what happens then is Lord Secretary, he's the, the, the number one preacher in town. The second priest preacher is Mr. Conscience. But then Mr. Conscience starts getting tricked by these, the evil one. And Lord Secretary, he's equal with the king and his son. It's the Holy Spirit then. And he withdraws into the castle in the town. And he will not talk to them. And then they cry, please, why have you withdrawn? But they keep on making friends with the evil one. And eventually, I'll get to the rest. But you see, Lord Secretary, in that story, that's how it happens. You grieve the Holy Spirit, you will not be aware of the seal of the Spirit upon your life. So you must repent. And you must pray that the Holy Spirit will return. Because everywhere the blood goes, you remember in the Old Testament, when a leper was cleansed or when the priests were inaugurated, the priests started their priestly service, they would put blood on the ear, the right thumb and the big toe. And then after the blood, there would be oil on the ear, the right thumb and the big toe to say, in everything I, I will listen to God's word, I will obey him and my feet will walk in his ways. But everywhere the blood goes, the oil goes. Everywhere the blood of Christ goes, the oil of the Spirit goes. So where you ask for forgiveness and repent and the blood of Christ comes, the Holy Spirit will come and renew that seal. God will renew the seal of the Spirit upon you. Remember David when he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me? He confessed his sin. So then you ask the, the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me continue the story then. You ask the help of the Holy Spirit to pray. So Mr. God-fearing then in the story of the Holy War he says, the reason why, you've sent all these letters to Prince Emmanuel to come back to the city. The reason why he hasn't come back is because you have sent the petitions, the letters yourself, the messages yourself. The only messages he will accept are those written by Lord Secretary. It must be in his handwriting and he must put his signature at the bottom of each letter. So that's prayer, obviously. And they send the messenger... Um, what was his name? Captain Credence, out of Mouthgate, <laughs> to go to Prince Emmanuel, to say, please, come back. But then they go to Lord Secretary first and say, we've heard that Mr. Godfearing told us, you must write the letters for us, otherwise the Prince will not hear our petitions, our prayers. He said, that's right. And I will write them, and I will sign them, but you must bring the ink, it must be your ink and your paper. Okay, when can we come and fetch the letter? No. The prince will not accept it. It must be in your own words. I will write it, but it must be your own words. <laughs> so that's how prayer works. So we ask the Spirit, please help us in our prayers, how to pray that God would, would bring the Holy Spirit near to our hearts and impress the seal of His Spirit upon us. So you pray God's promises and you pray God's word. Look at verse 13. The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. End of the verse, you were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. You pray the promises of the Spirit. You pray the word of God back to Him. 
And you remind him, you show God, you show God his own handwriting in prayer and say, Lord, but you said in your word. And then you ask him, give me more of Christ. Don't pray just for an experience, for some spiritual tingling down your spine. The Holy Spirit is pleased to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come, He will glorify me. John 16, 14. So you pray, oh, bring Christ near to me. I want a greater experience of the Lord Jesus. I want fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Do you desire Him? Do you desire the Spirit? I'm so afraid this evening, I said this to the Lord, Lord, I do not want to preach this message, but my heart feels cold. Oh, I, I bring great truths to you. Oh, but it doesn't move your heart. Do you desire the presence of Jesus Christ? Do you desire to glorify Jesus, to be near Him, to have the seal of the Spirit impressed upon your heart? Then I want to encourage you to follow this counsel. Listen to this counsel by an old writer, Octavius Winslow. Take courage. Go to Jesus. Go to Him simply. Go to Him without hesitation. Go to Him immediately. That secret longing after Christ, where does it come from? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you think He will not honor that work and welcome you when you come to Him? Test Him. Test Him. Bring Him to the touchstone of His own Word. Plead it in prayers, in wrestlings at the mercy seat. And see if God will not open the gates of heaven to you and pour out a blessing so much you cannot handle it. <laughs> you do not even have room to store up all the blessings He'll pour upon you. And then He says this, Go to Him as you are. If you cannot take to Christ a pure heart, take an impure one. If you cannot take to him a broken heart, take a whole heart. If you cannot take to him a soft heart, take a hard heart, but just go to him. Say, please help me. Change this hard, hard heart. Number two. Second question. What is the seal? That's in verse 13b. You know, in our church, we sing a song, and I've said this many times, and we change the words because it sings. It's an Afrikaans song, and it says... Baptism is the seal that the Holy Spirit has made me a child of God. Die doop is die seel dat die Heilige Geest my kind van God, die Vader, laat wees. And I said that to a fellow pastor, a Baptist pastor, and he said, but the Holy Spirit, or, or baptism is the seal. We sing it there. Baptism is not the seal that you are now a child of God. There are people who believe that. They believe once you've been baptized, whether you're a baby or whether you're an adult, doesn't matter, but the moment you baptize, God has now placed His seal. That baptism is the seal. You are a child of God. That is not true. And I'm going to explain to you why. That is not true. That thought, that theology comes from the, quite early in, the, in church history. Some of the church fathers said that. They spoke of baptism as a, as a seal. And I can understand why they would think so. Because in the New Testament, the day you got saved, you were baptized. And so that's why the New Testament can say things like, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Huh? Yes, it's because you repent and get baptized on the same day. And then God impresses the seal upon your heart. But the Bible never says, 
Baptism is the seal. Never, not once. The Bible says, our verse, the Holy Spirit is the seal. And the same in Ephesians 4 verse 30, the same in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. It never calls baptism the seal. So the, Christ is the one who seals us with the Spirit, or in the Spirit, chapter 4 verse 30. The ESV translates it, chapter 4 verse 30, you've been sealed by the Spirit. I don't think that's accurate. I checked the Greek, it's the word en, which means you've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the one who seals you. It is Jesus who seals you. That seal is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we've received that seal, the Holy Spirit. Now someone may say, but what about Romans 4 verse 11? Ah, Romans 4 verse 11 says, Abraham received circumcision. He was circumcised. He received circumcision as a seal. Mm. Okay, so circumcision is the seal of what? It was the seal, it was the witness to show Abraham received God's righteousness through faith many years before. And that was in the case of Abraham. But in the New Testament, it's very clear the Holy Spirit is the one with whom you are sealed, not baptism. The Holy Spirit's that one with whom you are sealed to show you are a child of God. Your heart has been circumcised. The old nature has been cut away. Sin has been cut out. Romans 2, verse 29. Let me read that to you very quickly. It says, But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. So circumcision of the body was just a picture of what is coming. Of the real circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Hmm. Baptism is just an illustration that's just a picture to show the heart has been circumcised. Let me show this to you in Colossians 2 verse 11 and 12. Paul says, In Christ you were circumcised. Really? Were we circumcised? In Christ? How? With a circumcision made without hands. This is not a circumcision of the body. It's This is a circumcision of the heart. Regeneration. Regeneration. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So back, baptism, verse 12, pictures, verse 11. Saunders ate the snake. And so now you're baptized to show, look, like water washes the body, so my heart has been washed by, through, by Jesus Christ through his spirit, or through Jesus by the spirit. Okay, then... What's this whole matter of a seal then? So if it's not baptism and it's the Spirit, what does this mean? This is what it means. Where in the Bible did they use a seal? Well, I just spoke about a seal ring, a signet ring earlier. So let's talk about a seal and say in the Bible we've got the example of a king taking the ring and impressing it upon wax or clay when he seals a letter to show genuineness. This is really from the king. It's got his impression upon it. And so that's what the seal means in you. God put places his spirit in your heart and he seals you to say, you are really a child of the king. You are his property. It's genuine. You're a real Christian. And then you had a seal in marriage. Uh, Song of Solomon, Wichlid, chapter 8, verse 6. It says, set me upon your heart. Set me as a seal upon your arm. So I've got a seal on my 
ring finger to show there's a covenant between me and my wife. And so God puts his seal upon you to say there's a covenant between me and you. There's a marriage between me and you. You belong to me and I belong to you. You belong to no other and I belong to no other. And then to show that you've been elected. You've been chosen by God. Chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 in Ephesians. God chose you. Verse 13, how does he show that he chose you? He's put his seal upon you. You're mine. Uh, what about 2 Timothy 2, verse 19? It speaks about the seal of God. With this inscription upon it, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from sin, depart from iniquity. So that shows you're really a child of God. You've got the seal again. Another verse would be Jeremiah 32. So you've got in the Old Testament, remember when you did a, you sold a, a piece of land, a farm or a house. So you sold that or the business and then you've got a title deed, you've got a paper, a scroll, and then it's sealed. Jeremiah 32 talks about that. To say this is again genuine. And the same thing here. This is genuine. To say you belong to the Lord. It's amper om die seal. It's to validate it. And so you've been validated by the Holy Spirit as a seal upon you. Validated to say this promise of heaven is for you. This verse 14. You've got the guarantee of heaven. It's for you. How do you know it? Verse 13, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then promises that are true. There are, there, there are a lot of things. I'm going to skip some of them just for the sake of time. Uh, another one would be in Revelation 20, where Satan is thrown into the pit, and the pit is sealed above him, to say it's secure. And the same with us. You've been sealed to show it's secure. Your salvation is secure. You're in the hands of God. He will not lose you. Another one, Revelation 5, also a scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals upon the scroll. So it's what's inside there is secret until Jesus breaks the seals. And so there's a secret. The people sitting here this evening, which of us have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Only God knows. It's his secret. Now we can look at the fruit and see fruit in someone's life. But the Holy Spirit has a seal upon us. God alone in the end knows it perfectly. And so the Holy Spirit will keep you like he sealed people in Revelation 3, 7 verse 3 on their foreheads to show those are the people of God. Those are the elect. And God will keep them to the end. The same year, verse 13. You've been sealed. Verse 14. Why? To show you on your way to heaven. And God will keep you to the end. He began the good work. He will complete it. So, what's the application there for our lives? The application is, and I trust probably all of you, hopefully all of you, do not trust in your baptism. Do not rely on your baptism as the seal because the baptism is not the seal. You must rely on the seal of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that seal? Do you have, he's called in verse 13, the promised spirit? Because Jesus promised, I'll send the spirit. And the Old Testament prophets promised the spirit will come. But he's also the promised spirit because he himself is the promise. Jesus said that. Acts 1 verse 4, 2 verse 33. I will send you the promise from the Father. 
All the promises of God are given to us in the Spirit, the seal. So do you have that? Do you have that? And do you know it objectively? Objectively, I mean, can you see it in your life? The fruit of the Spirit, is it in your life? Not perfectly, we still sin. But do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? And then do you, do you know the seal of the Spirit subjectively? Meaning your affections, your emotions. Do you at times in the Christian life experience the peace of God? Do you experience such a sense of His presence and of His love and of His glory? Yes, it's not always there, but are there times where you know that and you taste that? You taste and see that the Lord is good. Final question, number three. What are we sealed for? Waar do word ons verseel? Verse 14. So did you see in verse 14, what, is, what, is Paul, what does Paul call the Holy Spirit in verse 14? A guarantee. The Greek word there, a pledge. A plechtige belofte, amper. Nee, a waarborg. A deposit. To say the rest is coming. This is only a little piece. The rest is coming. The rest of the payment. Paul uses a different image in Romans 8 verse 23. He says, the Holy Spirit, you've received the first fruits of the Spirit. You know that image in the Old Testament. So when you've got the Feast of Pentecost, and even not only, only the Feast of Pentecost or Feast of Weeks, but the Feast of the First Fruits in Leviticus 23. So when you're, you're working on your farm and you bring the very first harvest of grapes, or the very first harvest of olives, or of uh, wheat, grain, corn, quirin. You bring that to the temple as a gift to the Lord to say, Lord, here's the first fruits. What will happen if you do that? God guarantees a good rainy season. God guarantees you're going to have a bigger harvest now because you've given your best to the Lord. You can see that in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. says it like that, the way I explained it now. So God guarantees that. So when it says, the Holy Spirit, you've received the first fruits of the Spirit, that is saying, God guarantees there's something bigger coming. There's, there's more coming. This is only a little. So the Holy Spirit guarantees you, you're going to get the full inheritance. And what do we inherit? Do you remember from last week's sermon? What do we inherit? Romans 8.17. Not heaven. There's something more. God. We inherit God. So you get that. Who, who bought this inheritance for you? Who paid for it? Because you can't inherit unless someone dies. Jesus. Jesus died so you can get this inheritance. You can inherit God. Verse 14 says it. Who is, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Inheritance. Someone needs to die in order for you to get that. And so we receive the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Spirit in this life? I don't mean by what means, by faith. I mean how. We receive the Holy Spirit in measure. Ephesians 4 verse 7. He's also given His gifts in measure. Jesus alone received the Holy Spirit without measure in His human nature. Uh, John 3 verse 34. 
So here in this life, when the Spirit comes upon you, it's like drops. The storm is coming. The big rain is coming. The spring rain is coming. In this life, it's just the morning. It's just the dawn. It's just like the light is peaking, like the sun sticks its, its forehead just over the horizon. <laughs> You've only seen that and then the sun peaks at you. But wait, full day is coming. So we've just received daybreak, dawn. In this life, the seal of the Spirit. The Spirit, you've, you've received a little vial of gold dust. Wait for it. You're going to receive a gold ridge, hundreds of kilometers long, thousands, tens of thousands. Wait for it. It's almost like one guy explained in a book I in my preparation. He said, it's like drawing a chain from a mine shaft. If you see this piece of the chain and you pull it up, is there more coming? Is there more of the chain down here? Yes. So the fact that you see only this guarantees there's more down there. Rian's going fishing when? Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday or something. Or the 27th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, we hope so with you. So, Rian, when you fish, and, and actually Tammy, I heard she's even better than Rian. When you, when you bring the fish up out of the water and you just brought its head out, does it mean the rest is coming? Okay, yes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Okay, and the same, he says, the same he says with a bag of gold you take from the treasure chest. You've got a big treasure chest, you pull up the bag of gold, gold coins, and you can just see the top. That guarantees you've got the top, the rest is coming. And the same with the Spirit. You've got the deposit. You've got the seal of the Spirit to say, the deposit is yours, the rest is coming. The rest is coming. So I wonder what that will be like. I think it's like oxygen, and I need oxygen. <laughs> All of us do, but I need, need oxygen especially. Um, it's like oxygen when, you, when you're in glory. It's, the Spirit will so fill you... It'll be like oxygen, oxygen filling your lungs. So it will be when, the Holy, when God fills you with His Spirit, when God fills you through the Spirit, by the Spirit, with His love, with His joy. He floods you with His peace. It's like a tsunami that will overwhelm you. The love and joy and peace and favor and blessing of God. You will constantly be aware of the presence of God because you're right in His very presence. Just think of this. If, you, if you've only now received a deposit of the Spirit, what will it be like in heaven when the fruit of the Spirit is worked in you perfectly? Perfect love in your life, in your heart. Perfect joy. Perfect peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine that. Perfect. Because of the Spirit's direct working in you. In this life, it's like sin holds you back. Yes, you have the deposit of the Spirit, but sin is always interfering. And so we do not understand, even with our spiritual gifts, it's not perfect. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, talks about the spiritual gifts, and then he says that here we know in part. Uh, and he continues and he says, well, here, then our knowledge will be perfect then our knowledge will be perfect. Imagine that. Perfect knowledge. Perfect insight. Perfect wisdom. Not being all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. But in terms of human nature, a perfect knowledge. 
The doctor said to my mother, when he did a brain scan, he said, this brain is practically new. It's hardly been used. <laughs> Most of us, our brains are like that. It's hardly been used. Imagine that perfect knowledge. Imagine your vermoens. Supernatural. Supernatural abilities. Superhuman abilities you will have. Superman couldn't even dream of that. How, how, how good will your eyesight be when you receive your new body by the power of the Spirit? Maybe as good as, good as an eagle or better? What about your hearing? Jackie and Jeremy, Jeremy and Jackie know a lot about animals. How good is an elephant's hearing? Low frequencies. What about a bat? And there... Whatever they use. And dolphins with echolocation. I don't know all the big terms. Amazing. Think of the abilities your new body will have. Think of when the Holy Spirit dwells in that glorified body and He so fills your glorified soul, your glorified spirit. Your whole being will always be full of life and vitality and energy and strength and health. Never get sick, never sin, never die. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. The Holy Spirit will so fill you. Daniel 12, verse 3. Matthew 13, verse 43 says, Your body will shine like the sun. And you won't do that because your eyesight will be perfect and more than perfect. Okay, let me ask you this question. Almost done. How do you know all of that is true? How do you know you're really going to get that? What does verse 14 say? God promised that. Verse 13, the spirit of promise. Verse 14, guarantee. 1 John 5 verse 6, the spirit is the truth. He cannot lie. So God will certainly give us that. And He's already given you a foretaste. If you ever doubt, just think of the hors d'oeuvre. Think of the starter. You've tasted of this meal already. Have you ever tasted in your life something of the love of God? Have you ever seen in your life something of the fruit of the Spirit? Have you ever seen in your life the spiritual gifts operate in a church where God has equipped people to serve for, for the benefit of one another and to the glory of God? Have you ever seen these things in your life? Ever experienced in your life the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Oh well, it seems to me you've, you've, you've tasted something of the deposit of what's coming. And then finally when it does come, the deposit means the rest is coming. But when it does come, you will experience God in His fullness. We will never understand God in its fullness, in His fullness, but God will come and He will fill and be all and in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you'll be so filled with God. You'll be so filled 
not only now with the promises of the Spirit, but with the actual giving of those promises, the fulfillment of them all. God will give you not only heaven. God will give you not only eternal life as a something. God will give you himself. As he has already done. In giving you his spirit. Why will he do that? Why will he do that? End of verse 14. The very last words. Why? To the praise of his glory. So God will be all in all. And God be praised forever. Verse 6, to the praise of His glory. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. And whatever crown you receive, you will take that crown and cast it at the feet of God, at the feet of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you will worship Him who lives forever and ever. So that, that hope, that foresight, that something to look forward to, does it change your difficult circumstances in this world? Does it? It doesn't. You still have difficult circumstances. Does it make the difficult circumstances bearable? Yes. So you can persevere, almost like someone running an ultra marathon. And it's still 15 k's to go. And then it comes 10 k's and he wants to give up. Because his legs are burning. His legs are on fire. He thinks, I cannot anymore. I cannot anymore. I want to stop. And then he thinks of the future. And he thinks, a million US dollars prize money if I win this race. Ah, come on. And that gives him an injection to persevere. And what is a million dollars prize money compared to the great inheritance we will receive. Father in heaven, thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit that you have given us to remind us, you are my child, I am yours. The inheritance is yours, heaven is yours. Thank you for giving the Spirit as a guarantee and help us, especially some people in this building tonight, going through very difficult trials. Lord, impress the seal upon them. I don't know will you do it now or after the trial, but please impress the seal of your spirit upon them to remind them, you are my child. Heaven is yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.